Yeah, so Nick, I just want to tell you a quick story. When I was in IDT, Intensive Discipleship Training, you know, Bible school in Florida, there was an interesting situation uh, that happened to me. Uh, there was a conference. Uh, it wasn't part of the school, but we were like just invited as, uh, you know, as students. We were just invited by some like uh, some teacher that was that was there. Um, pretty much what happened was there was a speaker and he he had a uh, deliverance ministry and he his main sermon pretty much convinced me at that time that I possibly had a demon inside of me. Because he he said that you know there's many millions of Christians that don't believe that you can uh, have a demon. Uh, he didn't use the word demonic or possessed, but just have a demon. And if you want to get to the next step in your level, the next step in your Christian walk, you need to, you know, first step of the first step is admitting that you have a demon. And so I, uh, you know, I remember going up there, and there was. Uh, you know, one of my friends got prayed for, and he like fell over, and then he, it, he, uh, I don't remember if he said or someone else said that like he had a spirit of religion or something like that. And I got, or I remember that nobody put their hands on me, and I, I felt really bad because I was like, man, I'm not gonna get delivered. And then I remember uh, afterwards, uh, towards the end of the service, like we're just having worship, and I come up to the guy because I, he's no longer preaching. We're just having worship time. And I like come up to him like, hey, can you pray for me, man? Like, uh, I feel like I might have a demon or something. And and then he prays for me. I remember my heart's like really, really beating fast. And then like, you know, I th- I'm thinking, man, I'm gonna manifest or start shaking or like, or at least pass out like my friend did. And then like nothing happened. And then remember afterwards, he's the preacher says like, hey, like your heart's your heart was beating really fast, man. You okay? And I'm like. Yeah, just like, I'm scared, you know, I'm scared that I have a demon. And he's like, it's okay, man. Like, I had many demons, you know, even as a Christian. And that pretty much gets into our topic, uh, talking about can a Christian have uh, a demon or be demonized or be uh, demonically possessed? Welcome to Reforming Slavics. Yeah. Um, That's a pretty crazy story because (laughs) in a short period of time, something you could have never considered right like yeah. am i demon possessed all of a sudden you were convinced yeah and it was because one of the signs that he said was that you're dealing with an ongoing sin you're go- when you know you're will going on with the will uh willing sin well <laughs> yeah so are almost all christians you know to one degree or another we are battling against sin yeah and so today i just want to go through some you know different know different points to see like through scripture what does that actually say because i've noticed through a lot of uh a lot of these uh people like for example we're going to be looking at a couple clips from uh, vlad Savchuk, who's a popular slavic teacher and i like a lot of this thing things he does you know he talks about you know like not being a lukewarm christian he talks about you know what's with the christian evangelical like mainstream movement is like talking about Oh, just get get prayed for, you know, like come to the altar, get prayed for, and then you can just live the life how you want, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I mean, props to him. I think he's become very popular and very well known, right? Yeah. He's, he's gotten all international. I mean, he's really popular. Popular, I mean, like millions of people know about him. Well, yeah, he's no longer just in the Slavic mainstream move, movement, 
you know, Pentecostal movement. He's more moved out to Americans. Uh, but I do have a big concern in what he's teaching, you know, uh, he's teaching that demon, uh, Christians can have demons. And first, uh, let's go through, uh, what a lot of people say is a problem with, uh, is a, is a problem with the translation demon possession. Cause he will say that, no, you cannot be demon possessed, but you can have a demon. And he, this goes down to the translation of the word, uh, I believe, demonizomai, which means demon-possessed, as just translated. So, there are, it's a facet of semantics, right? Semantics meaning how you define words when it's necessary. Yeah. Is, is demon, what does demon-possession actually mean in regards to uh, biblical framework? And what does being demonized mean? Yeah. And what is it being... What does it mean to be demon influenced? What is demon like? So you have to kind of focus in on, well, okay, what is a demon? Fallen angel, obviously the enemy of the Christian faith. Yeah. Okay. Uh, How do we interact with these spirits that are fallen angels? Well, in some ways we interact with them every day, right? The the seculum, the world, Mm -hmm. the culture of the world is um, drenched with demon theology, right? The things that demons want us to believe in the secular world, the pornography of the world, the music, the culture, the enticements are all run through an ideology and a demonology that is uh, derived from Satan himself. Like, he is the one who controls or moves the culture to worship anything else other than God. Yeah, like when we... You know, when Paul talks about, you know, food sacrifice to idols and talks about them worshiping, uh, you know, them worshiping idols, like really, really behind that, the idol, there's actually demons. Yeah, there were demons. Well, the demons are everywhere in the sense that they are trying to influence humans. Yeah, and they're, for whatever reason, they trying to get worship for themselves or they're trying to, I guess, stop. Like, they've been defeated, you know, at the cross. But uh, I guess they're trying to stop the advancement of, of, of the gospel. Okay, so what do you, what does it mean to be demonized or demon-possessed? So, the thing is, the only places that that de- the, the word demonizomai is used is in the gospels. When Jesus uh, was interacting with people who came to him? Yeah. And... If you look at any Greek lexicon today, the thing is that it will say demon-possessed. Uh, one of the arguments is, well, it's how the King James Version was translated. But it's like, all right, not everybody reads the King James Version. Surely it's not in all the translations, but it's literally in all the translations. Have tra- uh, The committees, hundreds of people have who study the actual Greek, who study Hebrew and the biblical languages, well, in this case, is Greek, right? The New Testament. And it's translated demon possession, to be possessed by a demon. And, you know, the it actually means to be possessed. Like, when you, when someone, when you have a possession of something, right? There's ownership involved? Yeah, and... Break it down even further. What is, what is it... 
what does it mean to be owned or possessed by a demon? Like, what are what are specific, uh, I guess, manifestations or things that arrive when one person is demon possessed or owned by a demon, in the sense where um, there is a really close knit tie between yeah. you so, and uh, a fallen angel, essentially. Yeah, there's a good article on karm.org talking about like what demons can actually do to people that were demon possessed in the in the gospels and talks about how sometimes it would cause people to be mute it would cause people to be blind right matthew 12 22 then a demon possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to jesus and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw right it can cause lunacy uh we saw that uh there was a man who who was uh right Luke four thirty five be quiet and come out of him Jesus says, and when the demon had thrown him out down in the midst of people he came out of him without doing him any harm. Uh, oh wait this the verse before or uh, I think it's the same story but it's cross reference. Okay, Matthew seventeen fifteen where it says Lord have mercy on my son for he's a lunatic and he's very ill. He often falls into fire and is often into water, right? So it can cause self-harm, lunacy. So he was a lunatic, so he was out of his mind. And I think the the most um, referenced example is Jesus and demoniac. Yeah. When he goes out to con- the city of... Con- what, is it, what city was it? It was a pagan city in which they encounter the legion-possessed man who is not in his right mind, who lives among the tombs. Yeah. And then Jesus casts the demon out into the um, swarm of pigs, and they all drown in the sea. Mm-hmm. And, and it seems that the Gospels record primarily Jesus, the Son of God, interacting with people who have demon possession. Yeah. And there, the reason people will say it's not there is a distinction is because they uh, they try to make the case that every amount of de- demonic influence on a Christian's life can count as you needing deliverance. Yeah, so that's an interesting But thing. we would make a, di- like, how I would make a distinction is a Christian can be oppressed, he can have demonic temptation, right? Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, it did not mean he was demonically possessed. Um, even Job, I would count that as oppression, like he, he, the devil literally needed permission to ask God to oppress him with, with the, you know, like boils with sickness. Uh, but then, but then there's possession where you're out of your mind, where uh, it seems like the demon is having control over certain aspects of your life where you're out of control, even to the point where your own body is being convulsed, uh, thrown given an extreme amount of adrenaline and strength to accomplish feats that you otherwise wouldn't yeah. do. Or, uh, as you mentioned, uh, to take away motor functions yeah, or, like vision or speech. Yeah, or giving yeah, like supernatural abilities, like the demoniac who was able, not being able to be bound by men. He would break the chains. We have the, um, in Acts, right? Uh, the the girl that was a fortune teller. Yeah, she gave a lot of profit to the people who employed her. Yeah, she had this supernatural demonic ability to be able to uh, foretell people's future. Yeah. 
And so these supernatural abilities that are given. <laughs> she was quite good at telling people unknown things to them at the time. Yeah. She was not capable of actually foretelling the future because that would make uh, that demon somehow know the future, which he cannot know. He is limited by time, space, and knowledge. Yeah, I guess I guess it would... I just wanted to clear that yeah, up. Yeah, I guess it just can give supernatural unknown knowledge that like the person would be able to have. Yes. Um, and it seems that the demon is interacting with that person's flesh and mind. To what extent is unclear. There, There's a spectrum there. Yeah. But what we're claiming is that Christians do not interact with demons in such ways. Yeah. And there is a bigger theology behind the principle of a Christian not being able to be demon-possessed, and it has to do with the theology of the purchasing mm-hmm. of our souls through the redemption of Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus actually purchased us on the cross. There was a payment given not to satan but the payment was given to god the father for our souls for our salvation and once we have been purchased and redeemed by christ we are no longer our own but we are christ in a sense where he actually is our lord yeah one of the arguments would be like well christians can't uh or wait it's not it's not like all christians problems go away when they're saved right they still have all these demons and it's like all right the first problem the first part is true right christians still have the flesh and things to battle with yes but but yes any kind of i would say we are delivered as we're christians and what's the verse first colossians 113 he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of our sins and we practice that with the Lord's Supper. And Paul very specifically says that, no, I imply that when pagans sacrifice, they're offered to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the partake of the cup, the table of demons. Shall I provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So, yeah. The practice of participating in communion and Lord's Supper is a representation of the spiritual reality. Not only that, but a representation of the spiritual reality that God actually purchased us, and we are solely at His table. There is no, there is no one else that can live in our, in our, in our house, right? Mm-hmm. And people bring up other verses, but essentially, there has to be a recognition of God. I really appreciate and like Vody Bauckham's phrase. Even the devil, or is that, or is that um, MacArthur? Either way, um, even it's not my phrase. That's what I want to say. There's, there's, um, even the devil's God's devil. The amount of influence that the devil can wring in this world mm-hmm. is solely determined by the length of the leash that God holds. That goes for every demon, every fallen angel, are set by parameters of God's sovereign will and plan. Yeah. And I guess, like, we we agree on so much. Well, like, I agree on so much with Vlad in that he says, like, demons have influence on Christians. Um, 
but the main argument goes down to can can a demon actually reside in a believer like yes. within him can you be possessed like can you can you be indwelt and he wouldn't use the word possession right cuz it then, then it means because he says you know the greek is a little off he would he would use the the word either demonized or can a christian have a demon well if you if you again it depends on the view you take if you go off the view that c.s lewis presents in his screw tape letters we are demonized every day we are demonized every day by the demons who try to um distract us from our thankfulness the the ability to worship god and depend on his grace every moment the forgetfulness of needing prayer and the word to be feeding us the distraction of the internet and mundane life and anxieties and depressions, all those things can be thrown at us by evil forces, the spiritual warfare that occurs that we are not aware of. Yeah. And the way out of that is not a intense um, deliverance ministry service. It's the daily grind of a Christian to commit to God's word, to the grace of God, and to prayer. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a daily occurrence. Like We are bombarded with the culture. The culture is influenced by demonology all the, everywhere everywhere you look, right? Yeah. Like, I just want to bring up uh, a video from Vlad Sovchuk. And this is a video called How to Be Self-Delivered. And it's towards the end of the, or I guess kind of towards the end of the video where he starts having deliverance prayer. Mm-hmm. And this is him praying to, uh, you know, the people in the live, in the live stream and people watching the video. And I just want to react to this. Place your grip right now in the name of Jesus. If you're battling with that right now in the, in the mind, place your hand up on your head right now and begin to command it out. Just command it out of you. As I command it over you, you command it over yourself right now. Out in Jesus' name. Be free in the mighty name of Jesus. Every demon of depression, every demon of anxiety, every demon of fear, every demon of heaviness, every demon of pride, every demon of rebellion, every demon of occult, every demon of fear, every demon of rejection, every demon of resentment, every demon of unforgiveness, every demon of anger, hatred, every demon of violence, every demon of murder, every demon of disappointment, every demon of loneliness, every demon of misery, every demon of self-destruction, every demon of suicide. In the name of Jesus, right now, move. Move. So he named a lot of he, d- different types of demons some some christians would you know say oh the spirit of this or the spirit of that he he says demon and he says demon of anger um so his theology <laughs> categorizes um specific sins temptations and emotions to specific spiritual entities yeah that which, reside which re- which then reside within the Christian, which then you need deliverance from, yes. which which can or may may or may not uh, result in a manifestation. Sometimes he says they don't. Um, but it, but th- this this idea that a specific demon has a specific sin behind him is not clear in Scripture. It's not it, even not at all. It's, it's in fact a presumption or an assumption of people. And here is, here is a test we should take, right? Um, is all lust derived from a demonic influence? 
No, right? Because Peter says there's this lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Or is that James? I'm not sure which one. And so that's clearly us. So how do you know, how do you differentiate between, well, it was a demonic influence or it was just me? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. And so you can't disprove a negative. And so in order to communicate or interact with, you know, someone casting out each individual demon from you, well, it's like, well, what if the demon left and I'm still feeling depressed? Then or, you need or, further or, deliverance. Or do I just need... And so there's never, dis, there's a never disproving until the point where, yeah. well, you're free and that must mean the demon has left. See, they they wouldn't say that you need like to be delivered and then stop battling with the flesh. They would say this is just a step in, in what you need. And they would say like, not every single sin that you do has a demon behind it, but if people were delivered more, like the, uh, this kind of example, then a lot, lot of people's sins would be uh, solved. That's what they would say. Yeah, and it falls back to the reality that we don't solve sins by telling entities outside of ourselves to go away or from us. Or inside of ourselves. Or inside of ourselves. <laughs> but the way we find transformation yeah. is having the Word of God wash our own hearts and the Holy Spirit of God sanctify our minds yeah. through the reading of the Word and through prayer. In other words, it is a self-focused recognition that you are a sinner and the freedom from sin is given by the Holy Spirit through Christ yeah. in daily life. Yeah, like the the list of demons that uh, Vladsevchik named, like the, the Bible doesn't have any of those names like for, for those types of demons. Instead, what the Bible says is that these are works of the flesh. Um, you know, like Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And here's the list. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. Um, sorry, it keeps going. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all these things. I warn you, as as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then what's the contrast of those? What shall we, well, how do we walk in the spirit then? Well, then he gives us a list, like literally the next verse. He says, but these are the, but instead, um, sorry, I lost my place. You got it? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Yes. And I appreciate the fact that Vlad does not... Um, attribute sin to the actual demon or to the actual spirit, unclean spirit. But there is a self-recognition of the responsibility that lies in yourself. But I can see how it could be very easy for someone to say, well, it was just the demon of lust. And therefore, in Jesus' name, I cast it out. There is no more war against that. Well, you see, the pre, like Vlad, he would never say that yeah, he would never, he would say, no, I'm against that. 
there's responsibility but the problem is is that it keeps on leading to i think unnecessary fear and unnecessary um too much focus on these kinds of deliverance experiences in other words they vlad and his church specify that is the attraction of their church they are surrounded they're they're like demon deliverance centric yeah the reason uh a big reason his ministry has exploded you know 637,000 subscribers on youtube which is awesome which is incredible yeah and but unfortunately it's around a lot of it is around these uh kind of strange and i'll say you know hopefully kindly strange videos of these deliverances i do like i believe a lot of these have like real like there might be actual real deliverances mm-hmm. But I feel like there's a lot of mixed in, a lot of emotion, a lot of power suggestion. There is an incredible power suggestion in ways where you can manipulate a person to almost like your story to begin with, right? Yeah, like I got scared and I started, you know, like almost shaking. And I feel like if a person is a little bit more easily manipulated, can start shaking and like sweating and start, you know, coughing. One of the things that another one of these persons, Isaiah Salvador, a lot of times says is, uh, I remember watching one of his videos. He says, "Come out in Jesus' name. Come out. Let the let the demon come out of your mouth. Let it come out of your mouth. Let it come through out of the throat, out of your mouth." And the person in the other side, it's a Skype call, and he starts coughing, and he starts coughing, and it's just like, and this whole time he's uh he's saying, "Let the spirit of perversion come out in Jesus' name." And I'm just thinking, like, I don't think the problem is a demon. I think the problem is you're battling with the flesh, and you're per- you're battling with perverted thoughts. And like, the Bible has a solution for that. It's but walking in the spirit. It's by praying. It's you know, confessing your sins. You know, there's there's steps in the Bible around this, and it's you don't need this kind of experience because it's not biblical. And the and, and the way it is approached is the first step, like you mentioned, to recognizing or fixing the issue of your demonization is admitting you have one. Yeah, that's in what other words, say. in other words, if you uh, posit the idea that no, I don't think that that service was biblical and that service was incorrect, what's the conclusion that anyone is going to come to? You must be demon possessed because <laughs> only a demon would have that kind of suggestion. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't say demon-possessed. You're demonized because only a demon would bring you that kind of suggestion, right? And so and so, it brings validity to their to, ministry. In other words, you cannot disprove or uh, dis, disassociate the, the circle. It continues. It creates its, its own gravy, right? It, it, so it's, it, you know, yeah. it just keeps on going. And so the issue I have particularly with these ministries is that they are extra-biblical. And people will say, well, yeah, clearly the New Testament doesn't talk about the specifics of of how to cast a demon out or about all these claims that are made in regards to, oh, there's a demon of X, Y, or Z in regards to sin. And I'm like, that's the whole point. I can't argue with you from a biblical perspective when you're making claims that are extra biblical. Yeah. Well, obviously we have a, we could have a theology of like demo, demonic possession. Yes. Like, obviously, like, the Trinity is not specifically used in the Bible, but we derive it from 
exegesis. Yes. And I think that what happens is another point I want to bring up is, is there overemphasis um, on the book of, I think on the book of, on the book of the gospels or the book of Acts and the, and the gospels. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, for example, I have this article that I wanted to bring up and it's frequently asked questions and it's a deliverance ministry. And, um, you know, one of the questions is, is demon possession rare? And it says, not according to scripture, Mark one thirty four, Luke 4.41, Acts 8.71, they all say for cast out many devils. Luke 41, devils also came out of many. And so they have all these uh, scriptures saying, well, many, many demons came out of these people when Jesus prayed for them. And so they have a, um, you know, very prescriptive uh, kind of view of, of, of the Gospels instead so, of descriptive. Yeah. So like, because it happened in Jesus' day, it must happen in today's day. And I'll be honest with you, that leads to them thinking that every single person that comes to Christ must be delivered. Like every single person must be uh, exercised. That's a better term. Because obviously we are all delivered from the kingdom of darkness. There has to be some kind of um, performance of deliverance ministry for every individual that comes to Christ. Which which I would would call those examples in the gospels exorcisms. Yes. And so what's happening in a lot of these services is he's performing exorcisms on people that don't even need it. Which creates the power of suggestion and the reactions that people have. Yeah. And there is also a theological um, discussion that has to be had in regards to what did the death of Christ and his resurrection and him conquering death and Hades and sin and crushing the head of the serpent really mean. Yeah. Right? Um, Did Jesus come and actually tie the strong man? Mm. Yeah, that's... That's actually, uh, I think, a really good, another verse to show, like, how Christians cannot be, cannot be indwelled by demons. is because, you know, talking about, you know, where Jesus is talking about um, how if you don't pray, or the demon looks for a place, and if it's not, if it's not swept clean, you know, then... Yeah, you cast that demon out, and um, he goes and wanders... um, Void places and over the waters. Yeah. And if he returns and finds the home swept and clean, he gets seven others, and the latter is worse than the first. Yeah. Yeah, here it is. Uh, Matthew twelve forty three, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house for which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings in seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they may that they may enter and dwell there, and that the last, last state of that person is worse than the first. So will be with this evil generation. But notice what it says, like very specifically, that the spirit has to, it comes back and finds the house empty. That's what happens in the New Covenant. We're no longer empty, right? We're indwelled by the Spirit. So, I think this verse, I haven't, I mean, maybe I haven't done enough research or what, but 
I haven't seen a response to this. Well, that verse is a parable. So yeah. there's a specific meaning to it and people can um, exegete their way out of any parable, right? But you did make, make a valid point. How strong or how powerful is in fact the God who lives <laughs> and indwells us? Yeah. And will he tolerate a fallen angel whom he created to somehow um, uh, assault his very house? Yeah. Because he's who he who is living in the world, or he who's living inside of us is greater than he who's in the in the world. Why is he greater? Because he himself is the third person of the Trinity. Yeah. Right. And so we must ask the question: How powerful is the third person of the Trinity? Is he capable of? Well, first of all, he's capable of keeping us until the day of the Lord. Meaning, once he had placed a seal upon our hearts, and once he had redeemed us. Yeah. from every people, tribe, tongue, and nation, he will eventually resurrect us from the dead into the new life and glorification, right? So we know he's capable of doing that. He is capable of sanctifying us and purging us from our iniquity and sin. And in fact, he is the one who delivered us from the slavery of sin into slavery and worship and uh, submission to God the Father. Yeah. So if he is capable of doing those things, why yeah. isn't he capable of shooing away a mere fallen angel who is lower than anything anything that he has to interact with right it is god himself who created these angels like yeah, i yeah. said like romans 8 38 says for i'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth or anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord that's including it says angels yeah Anything else in creation. So we should not fear or even have the necessity of deliverance ministry. If you're a Christian, your deliverance ministry is every day. And that is through focusing on Christ, through the reading of his word, through prayer, and through communication with the saints. Yeah. I wanted to bring up um, another quick clip just because, like, I thought it was, like, really important, like, to this whole entire discussion. Yeah, go um, for it. Uh, this is Vlad Savchuk talking about First Corinthians six nineteen through twenty, um, and his point is in in a in a video called Seven Reasons Why Christians Can't Have Demons," and he's pretty much saying, uh, "This verse, you know, he's saying this verse does not mean that Christians can't have demons." Own yourself no more. You're not owned by the devil, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore. Glorify God in your body. Now these verses are not dealing with demonization. I have heard many preachers use these verses and say, well the guys who cast out demons say that demons live in your body but they don't live in your spirit. But look, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has our body as His temple. Yes, but have you noticed the Bible says that the Holy Spirit lives in you, not in your body? so <laughs> what so so like when i heard this i was like so confused because he just literally said the holy spirit lives in you but not in your body so there's an an, an ontology we yeah. talked about metaphysics and an ontology means the essence of who you are the parts you're made up of yeah we had a video about this right yes like a few months ago and so um people create their own categories of who you are in order to fit in a certain theology yeah. The Bible says who you are is both your soul and body, and they're inseparable. 
that's why you have a glorified body in the resurrection yeah right yeah like nick can i just like punch you in the face because that's not the real you right <laughs> that's just your body right you're living the, the spirits is the real you because listen what else he says your body is the temple but you are not your body you are a spirit and the holy spirit lives in you he does not live in the body he lives in your spirit in your body sickness can live in your body you can even commit sins and in fact paul calls christians do not sin sexually so he literally just says the real you is not your body like that's a very dangerous thing because the conclusion could be obviously he wouldn't say this but the conclusion could be then i could sin because my i could sin with my body because it's not the real me I, yeah, I think that's the fault. Like that, that wouldn't be his argument. I don't think he'd ever say that. They're, they're, yeah. The thing I like about the the deliverance ministries, they tend to be really against sin as well, which is awesome, right? They they focus on the fact that sin is is upfront against God. And you must repent. Yeah, but of it. isn't that the logical conclusion? Yes, like I just but, said, but like also there is there is a, a sneaking in of a little bit of Gnosticism. Yeah, where where the the body is the bad parts. And the spirit is the true you, the, the good yeah. part. Where the Gnostics would say, uh, the first century heresy that Jesus didn't come in the flesh because the flesh is bad. Yes. Or like the flesh meaning the body. And not, so, yeah. again, you can't ascribe that theology or that perspective on him. But I wonder where he got that idea because that idea is nowhere to be found in scripture. That your body is not the real you. In yeah. fact, the reason Paul says that you shouldn't go sleep with a prostitute is because... You're sinning against your own body, and your the body is you, right? Um, yeah, you you can't you can't uh, you can't have two extremes, right? You can't have a, an extreme of saying like, "Oh, the body is everything." Right? There's certain Christians that are like, every single like most of your problems that you have, oh, it's, it, you just need therapy, right? You just have trauma, like we talked about this, like, oh, you just have to like take medication like no a lot of times the problem is a spiritual problem and it manifests to like you having depression or something like that yes and then there's other christians like uh that might make everything spiritual there yeah there's always the danger uh c.s lewis begins his book the screw tape letters with one side of of uh the human race ignores and claims that these demons don't exist and the others so are infatuated with the idea of demons existing that they create fantastical and mystical um, ideas and um, essentially thought processes behind them. And we as Christians recognize that demons are real. Evil forces of the spirit of this age are constantly trying to influence us. And as Christians, we have no fear of them because we have been purchased by God and nothing can separate us from his love, including angels and principalities and all those things. And the way we war war actually war against those things is the same way we're war against sin and the devil we constantly react rely on god's grace and i'm going to say this a billion times through prayer reading of scripture and communicating and fellowship with the saints that is the way you war against worship is the war against the devil and his angels because we are acknowledging who god is yeah like you know, in this article that I go back to, like, what uh, the Q&A of the Deliverance Ministry it says, aren't Christians immune from demonic bondage? Which is kind of a straw man, because it kind of means what you mean, right? That's kind of semantics. <laughs> what does bondage mean? <laughs> yeah. 
But then they go into the argument, this is unbiblical theology based on assumptions. In order to prove Christians have demons, two things must be considered first. Uh, just a sec. This wasn't the part I wanted to do. Oh, this is the question. How can a demon dwell within a believer who has the Holy Spirit? Many believe that anybody, this is the article, who has the Holy Spirit is immune from demonic bondage. This theology usually stems from a faulty belief that the soul and the spirit are the same things. The moment we are born again, our spirits are reborn, the Holy Spirit is united with the spirit. The soul of a man is is not instantly reborn as a spirit, but rather we are told to be transformed by renewing of our minds, which doesn't happen instantly. Our souls is where the dirt lies and where the demons dwell, but not in our spirits. That is that is <laughs> radical. Because Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus responds to Jesus, well, how can I enter my mother's womb a second time? And Jesus responds, those who will inherit the kingdom of God will be born of the spirit, right? Of the spirit. Your spirit, your, your soul must be regenerated. God speaks multiple times about giving us a new heart, a love for him through regeneration. And to those who say that, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't live in your body. I've got a question for you. What does the Holy Spirit use to preach the gospel? Your body. What does the Holy Spirit use to love your neighbors and your wife and yeah. your family? Your body. What does the Holy Spirit use to induce suffering in order for you to recognize your sin? Your body. Yeah. What do you get when you are glorified in the new heavens and new earth? A new body. You are not separate from your body. And this ontological understanding of, well, there are three parts of a person and somehow the Holy Spirit indwells the spirit, but not the body, not the soul. There are no categories like that and distinctions like that in order to place them no. in the scriptures. They're not they're not derived from the Bible. They are interpretations of other people. And I don't like your interpretations because they seem to contradict what the Holy Spirit says about his regenerative power. Yeah, and there's... Like in that article, it said that the spirit, you know, is the pure part of you. But then there's like verses that I found like in uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology talking about um, when Paul, this is him talking, when Paul encourages the Corinthians to cleanse themselves from every devilement of body and spirit, 2 Corinthians 7 1. It's like, okay, why would you need to cleanse yourself of every defilement of body and spirit? If the spirit can't get uh, defiled, right? So we would like make this uh, distinction, or actually we wouldn't make a distinction between soul and spirit, right? We would say soul and spirit are the same things. Like yeah. they're used interchangeably throughout the scripture. And we talked about this more if you want to listen to our previous episode talking about how many parts are we made out of. Um, and one more thing. I wanted to, of of the same video of, of Vlad Sevchik talking, I wanted to listen to one more small part. Spirit right. never controls a Christian because he gives him a self-control. Now let's go a little bit further. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? And if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy and that is what you are. Again, if this is a temple of the Holy Spirit, like how can it be destroyed? So it's funny because he said two minutes ago that the body is not the real 
is that you live in a body, but the spirit's the real you. Mm -hmm. But then this verse that he brings up literally says, don't you know that you yourselves are the God's temple? And the Holy Spirit so, does what? Dwells in you? And so he said, he said that the spirit, right? The spirit doesn't dwell in your body, but then it's like, wait a second, but you are the temple. So these verses literally didn't help his case in any way. They kind of contradicted. <laughs> yeah. And again, going back to uh, the same book, Corinthians, right? But just yeah. later on in chapter 10, when Paul interacts with the Corinthians in regards to what they eat and what they consume. And I believe we already read this verse. Um, no, I imply that pagan sacrifice offer to demons, not to God. So there's an interaction with demons right there, right? And then later on he says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And this is setting up the dichotomy between us as Christians participating in the Lord's Supper, which we are interacting with him and consuming the blood and the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And then Paul says, once we have done that, once we have been turned into the kingdom of light, there is no more participation we are not willingly participating and allowing demons to somehow indwell us. There's there's Christ who is indwelling us. There's a distinction there. There can't be there can't be a powerful God who allows he himself to be overtaken by a force that he himself created. And so it finds I just find it very difficult to understand the simplicity of it without bringing in all the different... Yeah, the... Like, it just seems like, um, you know, the, theology really matters. And when we bring up something like trichotomy versus dichotomy, like, how many parts are you made out of? It, seem, it might seem so simple. Yeah, are you body and soul? Or are you body, soul, and spirit? Yeah. And it seems like so small, but then you realize what implications you have when you're actually consistent. Because the Bible is consistent. Like, you can't have inconsistencies. Sorry. And so, these different these different things that we uh, talk about, like, have such implications. Um, when you have, like, a small little... Um, like, what's the example where... Right, you're off course on a rocket ship, just like point zero 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 one degrees. But if you're going a thousand miles, if you're going ten thousand miles, you're gonna end up in a whole different solar system, right? Because you're not. It's about the destination. And it's like your theology has different uh, effects for what what you actually have, you know? Yeah. Or what you actually. And speaking yeah, of your theology and how you kind of, you know, slowly miss the trajectory. Yeah. That allows people who are around the sphere of deliverance ministry to interact with people who aren't necessarily theologically sound or even um, morally sound. Like yeah. deliverance yeah. ministry. And um, I recently saw a flyer or some kind of event. I think you mentioned it before. Yeah, yeah. So... One of the main reasons I wanted to make this video is because there's a movie coming out uh, like a thousand, what they said, like 2,000 theaters across 
America in, in March. It's called Come Out in Jesus' Name. And Greg Locke is uh, one of the main people uh, on the cover, including uh, Vlad Sochuk, including, uh, interestingly, one of the people on the poster is actually the guy that prayed for me. That really? Pre- yeah. Daniel Adams. Nice. He's getting <laughs> getting up in, in, in the yeah. spirit. So, and so, first of all, let's mention a couple of things. Um, I don't necessarily know Vlad Sochuk at all. He's probably an awesome guy, you know, does great work. I, we have disagreements, but I believe he's a Christian. He's going, we're both going to be in heaven looking at each other and laughing at ourselves for all the mistakes we've made theologically. Yeah. But Greg Locke divorced his wife openly, was extremely hostile to her, extremely abusive in regards to verbally. There were text messages that have been released. Then he married his secretary like very soon afterward. And he claims he didn't cheat on his wife, but there are suspicions that he... I was interacting in some kind of relationship with the secretary before he divorced his wife and then never went left the pastoral ministry was extremely um, verbose in regards to politics and um, made claims about people which are false and aren't true. So this guy, Greg Locke, you've probably seen him on Facebook or YouTube has a character that is clearly unchristian, clearly sinful. And yet there's no discernment at all from these people who claim that they have cast out, you know, thousands and demons put together, if you put them all together, right? And yet they don't have the discernment to say, well, that guy's sinful and we probably shouldn't include him into our ministry. And, and yeah. there's there's there seems to be a chasm there, right? There's a guy who divorced his wife, stayed a pastor, has no apologies for it, no yeah. repentance for it, and it's public information. You can clearly you clearly know. And yet you're allowing him to participate in casting out demons with you? How do you know that guy isn't being possessed with the <laughs> demon of divorce? I don't know, right? If, if we're following the consistency of their theology, that should be a huge red flag. And yet there is no discernment in yeah. regards to that. And so that, that kind of um, behavior really makes and puts into question your entire ministry. Yeah, yeah, the... Like, it goes on with, like, all these, you know, people, uh, Christians, talking about them doing, like, insane, like, daily signs and wonders or, like, even raising people from the dead. The people that are claiming these things, they usually don't have the sound theology, like, throughout Scripture. So, it's like, if God was really blessing them with these miracles, like, wouldn't they be theologically sound? Well, God does multiple things, right? He convicts the world of sin through the Holy Spirit. He points out our flaws. He points us to the truth, and he he can perform miracles. Yeah. The Holy Spirit works in tandem, meaning all those things happen, not just one of those things. Um, And so, if you were going to, if you were going to, like, as a Christian, look at deliverance ministry. I would say be very cautious of people who do deliverance ministry because not because of what they're doing necessarily, but because of the things, all the things they lack in the background, like sound theology and understanding of the gospel, the purchasing of Christ and his the redemption. People they associate with. People they associate with is the big thing, right? And again, you're not guilty by association, but you are guilty in including someone who is clearly unrepentant of idolatry. You know, Technically, Paul says you're committing adultery if you get, or Jesus, you're committing adultery if you divorce your wife, 
not on the basis of sexual immorality and marry yeah. a new, another you're one. You're still in adultery. You're in adultery, right? An adulterer who is casting out demons with you and you have no qualms about that. You're not discerning in regards to him. That's shameful, right? That's that's one of the things that Paul writes in, you know, speaking of Corinthians, says like, don't associate yourself with people who claim to be Christians and have sexual immoralities blatantly and openly yeah, and, are pr- and are proud of it, right? Or if at least he would repent of it, like, don't well, be If a- he repented of it, then he'd no longer be a pastor. Yeah. He broke the qualifications of being a man of one woman already. Yeah. So he's no longer a legitimate pastor, right? And so that's the struggle. You claim that you have this perspective on all this knowledge on demonology, and yet there is this issue with one guy that's sinning, and there's no admission to it. That makes your entire ministry suspect. Yeah. And that sucks because a lot of these guys are are doing like they're they're preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified and the repentance of sin, yeah. which you need for salvation. Other stuff, you know, people can ward out in regards to demonology and how to cast out demons. There's spectrums in that. But if you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior and you worship him and you honor him through your life for the power of the Holy Spirit, like you are a Christian. Yeah. So that kind of sucks. Yeah. It just it just it's just a shame um that like uh when a lot of like if we're gonna be calling out you know other preachers and teachers in America, it's because we love them. It's like we don't want you to we don't want America to be looked at as like a nation of you know of a bunch of compromised uh Christians, yeah, and we, it seems that we have sometimes a perspective of us against them. Yeah. And it really shouldn't be because, like, Vlad has a lot of influence and he's very prominent in a lot of circles, right? And so, like, good for him if he preaches Christ. But also, he's got a, you know, a big platform to necessarily preach things that are inconsistent with the Bible, or at least not found in the Bible. And, you know, he should have caution in regards to those things. So, it's it's a... It's just like anything in life, you have to be cautious and aware of deliverance ministries. And you have to be cautious of people who claim that the devil never possesses anyone and there's no harm in, no, demonology, interacting with demons. Like, no, those things are real. They are fallen angels from, from Satan himself. 